Now let's begin. It's the Star Trek guys, and this is Trek 1701. I am your host, my name is Chris Lockhart, and I am not here alone. The Star Trek guys comprise four members, uh, and um, in no particular order. Uh, There's myself, Chris Lockhart. Next up, we have Richard Zabo. How's it going, Richard? Fantastic. It's good to be back. It's been a little bit too long. But we're here and we're ready for some track. Excellent. Uh, next up, we have Curtis Holloway. How's it going, Curtis? Awesome, buddy. Glad to be back. And last but not least, we have Ragnar. How's it going, Ragnar? Well, it's going quite well. And hello, everyone. Excellent. Excellent. Um, uh, so, yeah, we're the Star Trek guys. Uh, it's been a it's been a while since we've uh, uh, had the opportunity to podcast together, uh, <clears throat> just because uh, you know different things coming up and and the whatnot. So uh, just prior to recording, I think we figured it was July. I think the last time we all sat down together to t- to discuss some Star Trek. Um, and even though all the way back then we said you know we're gonna we're gonna be uh, doing a breakdown of Voyager. I still haven't watched any Voyager since then. So I, I got to get on that. You know, I, I got sidetracked watching TNG over Christmas and I was like, ugh, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. You can't mess with the classics. Yeah. And, and then, TNG uh, is number two. Yeah. And then, um, Star Trek Picard just started up for season three. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of tie into that at the end of the episode. We'll, we'll give our, you know, whoever's watched it will give our thoughts on the on the first episode of first couple episodes. But for this episode of Trek One Seven One, eventually we will get into the season by season breakdown of Voyager. I'm thinking that's later in the year. Uh, but for right now, we're just gonna do a quick, well, not quick, but you know, uh, just a general overview of Star Trek Voyager um, as a whole. Um. Okay, so, uh, well, actually, before we get started, let's go around the table and just, uh, you know, for those listeners that uh, haven't heard us in a while, let's uh, let's let them know what we've been up to lately. Um, uh, for myself, you know, just, uh, you know, continuing with uh, Pop Culture Pub and, and Geek Fallout uh, Reloaded, uh, got some uh, conventions coming up, um, planning on going to Calgary uh, in April, Um shooting for that got my my ticket or my ticket uh weekend pass and all that my hotel's booked um i'm gonna be taking my youngest daughter to that 
it's her first time going to Calgary, but she loves going to conventions, so it'll be a lot of fun. Um, and then I am planning on going to Volcon this year. That is my, my plan. Um, you know, it's going to be a little different this year because, um, I haven't went since 2018, I think 2018 was the last year I went. And, um, I've like, I've, it's been almost a year since I quit drinking. So it's going to be kind of weird going to Volcon because, uh, believe it or not, <laughs> You know, uh, you know, Star Trek fans tend to get a little rowdy on on the Friday night of Vulcan, uh, myself included. Uh, You're so not that, kidding. So yeah, this will be the, the this will be the first year that uh, I'll be sober for it. But uh, I may buy some cigars to smoke, though. I think I'll be smoking some cigars. Um, so anyway, nice. Yeah, that's what's new with me. Uh, Richard, what what's new with you, good sir? Not a whole lot. Still got the kid. He's doing great. I got a new car, a more four-door, family-friendly vehicle. How, how, uh, big is, how big is your kid now? He's uh, like like well six over, foot already, or what? No, no, he's like he's well over three feet. <laughs> wow. He's gonna be taller than his mom probably by the time he's ten. <laughs> <laughs> how old? Yeah, how old is he now? Man. He's a about just over two and a half, so he'll be three oh, in the end of June. Here, I was, I was, right, trying, right? I, I was trying to tell my wife, I was like, I think he's like a year and a half, maybe. You know, wow, time's just been flying. Yep, and I had a two-door kind of a sports hatchback that was not convenient, and a new car came up at the dealership that I like for a good price, and I got a good trade-in value, so I was like, you know what? It's time to become more adulty. But it's still a fast car, so I'm happy with it. Excellent. <laughs> What'd you get? Uh, I got a 2017 Volkswagen Jetta GLI Autobahn Edition. Ooh. Oh, yeah. That's a little bit more family friendly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's four doors. You know, it's a leather interior. It's a six-speed manual. So, I mean, I got what I wanted out of it. Nice. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to interject real quick with a little humble brag. Not so humble. Uh, Richard's kid, Jr., um, because Richard's wall is covered with Star Trek convention pictures, I was one of the first faces that he recognized and had a name for. So before I even met the kid, he knew me as Uncle. It was the most adorable thing. Nice. Oh, man, that's yeah. awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, well, Curtis, what's what's new with you, sir? Uh, well, I'm, I'm back working in my trade. That's the big news. I'm a structural iron worker. I'm happy to be back doing what i was trained to do and what i like doing yep. and it freed up my schedule so that we could actually you know record again which was a big part of why we had such a long break was my schedule was just not not compatible well i mean it wasn't just that. you no my schedule's tough too i think all of our schedules can be tough oh yeah well definitely. i'm not trying to take all the credit but it, it definitely helped yeah. yeah. Well, the the last time we rescheduled, that was completely my fault because um, I should know better than to schedule a podcast during the Christmas break. Usually, I don't podcast during the Christmas <laughs> break because something always comes up, and and yeah, something did come up that Friday night we were supposed to record, and but uh, no, we're here now. And and Ragnar, what's new with the, with you, good sir? Well. um... 
I just got back from Fan Expo Vancouver, the first big show of the year. Nice. It was, they had a lot of Star Trek guests. I saw a lot of Star Trek cosplays. And uh, it was the best show I've ever done in terms of sales. Oh, awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was it was crazy busy. Like, three three days of, of my table being two or three people deep at all times. And uh, I'm still tired from it, uh, but it was amazing. And uh, now I'm, you know, back at home and starting to feel almost rested and recovered. And uh, time to start making stuff to get ready for the next show. Excellent. Um, Yeah, I think this year, I think the conventions are going to get bigger, I think. Because everyone, you know, like we're, we're finally getting out of the pandemic I think people are getting more comfortable being out and about and in groups. So I, I just foresee the conventions this year just being busier going forward. I I think you are absolutely right because that's what I saw in Vancouver. Yeah. Can I interject real quick regarding um, conventions? Yep. Yeah, man. I, I was just reading on, on the Vulcan, like the Vulcan Tourism website, but they're celebrating 30 years of conventions this year. Yep. And there seems to be some type of farewell Sunday brunch, but I don't know what that means. Is it like, are they ending their convention time or what's the farewell? Because it doesn't really say. I was wondering if any of you had any uh, other details. No, I, I think it's going to continue, but I... The way I understood it was like the farewell brunch is like so the before the whoever the guests are because I don't think they've announced those yet not that I've seen uh, they fly out no. Sunday right so it's their farewell like they they come have breakfast oh. and then they hit their flight home. Oh, well, that makes sense. I think I'm, I'm thinking. Um, but that being well, said, are, are you guys going to be at Volcon this year? I plan to yes. I, I had seriously considered it. It was in the news the other day. Um, Conan O'Brien discovered Vulcan. Yep. Or Vulcan Alberta, like, last week or something, and did, like, a bit on it on his show. And now, like, he's been invited to lead the parade. I don't know if that, if that because I know that when they had um, the, the softball tournament and the, the Star Trek convention all amalgamated into their Spock days, they would kick everything off with a parade. Yeah. That hadn't been the case the last few times we'd been there because they – Let's face it, it just that town does not have the capacity for both of those events at once anymore. No. <laughs> that, so, town, that town doesn't have capacity for anything, man. No. Even just having one of them. No, that's, that's, if Richard and I go down there, Ragnar, we're going to have to crawl into your truck at the free campsite and we'll bunk with you, buddy. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we'll have a big cuddle party in the back. <laughs> Are you going, Ragnar? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I was just going to ask, when's the dates? I haven't seen dates um, posted anywhere. The dates that I have here are the 28th to 30th. Of July. Mm. So that's of July. The last weekend yeah. of July is the scheduled dates. That's on the Vulcan Advocate, the, yeah, the that's, newspaper. That's what I got, too. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't see the official dates on the Vulcan Tourism website yet, but I imagine it'll be around that weekend, and I would definitely like to go. And just in case it's the last one, I want to go anyways. 
Yeah, like, yeah, I haven't went since 2018, and, and yeah, it's been too long. I have no, and even does, it doesn't matter who the guest is. Like I, I'm, I've heard rumors that it's going to be like maybe Conan O'Brien, but also someone from one of the new Star Treks, which you know, yeah, whatever, the same. You know, whatever. I, I'll still go. Like you know, I'm hoping when they say that maybe it'll be like Michael Dorn or someone. You know, because he is in the new season of Picard. But you that's know. true. Yeah, I, I have no idea what what they'll bring in. It wouldn't shock me if they bring in people like smaller cast members from the new show, <laughs> our new shows. I have no idea. Uh, I don't know if I'm free that weekend or not. I'll have to check and, and get back to you. Yeah, I know it's uh, the same weekend as the Blue Suede <clears throat> Music Festival up in Westlock. Uh, what, oh, yeah. You know, I would have went to that, but I'm going to this Vulcan instead for sure but yeah i'm, I'm definitely Wait. just gonna do the free camping just gonna camp out my van yeah that's the way to go you know if you if you can get it there's only like i don't know 10 spots or something okay so i i'm taking a look here at the booking.ca for vulcan recreation and the tickets are early bird tickets are available for sale mm-hmm. friday july 28th to sunday july 30th uh, early birds are currently open. The other ones are not yet, from what I can see. Yep. So. Yeah, I I, I already got my ticket. I'm 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 committed this year. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, nice. like I said, it's going to be the first year that I'm completely sober. Because yeah, like usually Friday night, you know, the tailgate party and everything, it uh, gets pretty wild. But. Uh, yeah, down, down at like the one hotel. <laughs> yeah, well, they they got that one. Well, no, there's there's the old hotel. No, I think I and think there's actually three. Yeah, uh, and then there's yeah, like a motor, like a what you might call a travel lodge or whatever. Yeah, we usually stay at the Vulcan Inn, Curtis and I. Yeah, that's where I've stayed at both places. I've also camped in my van one year. One year, I, I actually bought a tent and camped in the tent. That was a mistake. Just because uh, it was so goddamn warm and I was so hungover the next morning, uh, it was like an uh, waking up in an oven. Um, <laughs> yeah. One year, one year, Curtis and I we stayed outside of Vulcan, about twenty minutes away in yep. Manton. Yep, that was oh, uh, that was a good time. <laughs> yeah, that was the year we met. No, it wasn't. It was not a good time. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit of a sarcastic. Some of it was not a good time, but some of it was. Like the Nanton candy store and the ice cream shop, always a good time. Yeah, I, I didn't make it to the parade that year. I, I I made it to the to the photo ops, but I did not make it for the parade. But I heard it outside my hotel no, window. No, I, I almost, if I didn't have Richard to drive me, I would not have made it to that parade either. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a good beer gardens. It was, it was the beer gardens where we met the night before. That yeah, it was there was a lot of beer. Oh yeah, yeah, y'all were fucking rats. Let me yep. tell you. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's when we, <laughs> we used to smoke pipe. That's how we met. Was yep. pipe yeah. smoke? Okay. Yep. That's what that's Back what drew pipes. me to you guys. Because I was like, someone's smoking a pipe. I can totally, you know, it smells delicious. I gotta go. I gotta go talk. And then, because, uh, yeah, it, it was a beer garden for a ball tournament, so I just assumed you guys were on a ball team or something. And then it turns out we're all Star Trek fans. And and we're just 
we were all outsiders yeah. at this at this baseball event. So it worked out good. Um, all right. Well, I think uh, we can roll into our main topic this evening, and that is Star Trek Voyager. I'm just getting my notes here. Okay, so I'm going to do a quick preamble just to kind of set the stage uh, for Star Trek Voyager. So it was May uh, 1994 when Star Trek Next Generation went off the air. They they finished their seven-year run. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, you know, little little known fact is they were actually, they did sign on for an eighth season. But they never did an eighth season. Um, because yeah. TNG was sold to syndication. And uh, Paramount wanted to start a new television network called UPN. And they wanted a Star Trek show to be their flagship show. Um, so they could have technically done another season of TNG, but they chose not to because they wanted the focus to switch to Voyager. And, and because of the syndication deals, if they kept TNG on for an eighth season, it would be competing with Voyager, just like Deep Space Nine was competing with Voyager. So, uh, TNG ended in May. Season three of Deep Space Nine started in September. That was, uh, you know, the the premiere that introduced us to the Defiant, to to the the founders and all that good stuff that we've you know that we love in Deep Space Nine. <clears throat> November Star Trek Generations came out in theaters. Um, kind of a, I think at the time, like it, I wouldn't say it was a flop, but uh, it it de definitely didn't. Uh, resonate with with fans as much as previous Star Trek movies had at that point. Um, and then January 1995, we had uh, the premiere of Star Trek Voyager with its pilot episode, The Caretaker, uh, on UPN. And, like, in Canada, it was on, like, uh, global stations. It was on I, in I, ITV in, in, in uh, Edmonton. Um. And then, yeah, um, I think the first season they did, I want to say like 16 episodes or 15 episodes, because uh, it started in January. And then, uh, yeah, they, they did a, a seven-year run, which concluded in May 2001. Um, so when it started, like, the internet was like, wasn't a thing in my life. Um I don't think there was any. Yeah, I don't think there was any internet access anywhere uh, in my area during that time. Uh, so everything I learned about Voyager prior to Voyager came in magazine form, like from Starlog to Cinescape, uh, Sci-Fi Universe, those type of magazines. Um, and I gotta say. I was not, like, going into the show, I, I, I knew there was going to be problems, uh, just based on the concept. Uh, so the concept was, it was going to be Lost in Space, the 1960s show, meets the original Star Trek, meaning that it was going to be a smaller ship that was f cut off from the Federation, and they would have yeah. to be making their way home. Like, you know, basically the premise of Lost in Space. Only they weren't technically lost because they knew where they were going. Um, 
and it was going to be a crew made up of Federation and Maquis members, which I thought was interesting. Um, but I had a feeling it wasn't going to work. And out of, out of all of those, you know, TNG, Voy uh, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise Voyager, Voyager's probably my least favorite out of those. Um, but I'll, I'll get into more details why it was the first star trek series that i actually stopped watching like as it was airing like I, like halfway through season three i kind of gave up um just i think it was more i was frustrated with the fact that the, the things they weren't doing that they should have been doing um but that being said now looking back you know it's 2023 i'm looking back uh with 2020 vision and I gotta say, you know, <clears throat> especially compared to new Star Trek, I admire what they were trying to do. They were trying to do something different. At modern Star Trek, uh, they rely too much on uh, what South Park calls member berries. Um, you know, like, when you think about it, like Star Trek Picard, you know, they rely on people's nostalgia for Picard in order for that show to succeed. Star Trek Strange New Worlds, they want you to watch because Spock's on it, and Captain Pike's on it, and uh, Captain Kirk's brother's on it. You know, they want you to watch uh, Discovery. It was the same thing. They brought Spock into it. Sarek was in it. You know, you got Spock's foster sister in the show. Uh, Star Trek Prodigy, you got Janeway in that animated series. Well, Pro Prodigy was pretty good, though. Prodigy... Did have more going for it than. Um, oh yeah, than, no, I, I, no, I, I, no, I'm not talking about Project. I'm talking about the other one, Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Yeah, and also Lower, Lower Decks had more going for it than nostalgia. Yeah, Project. I, I don't know. I didn't watch. But I think modern Star Trek, they just instead of doing something original, they rely too much on what's been done before. You know, like and that and that's what they're you know because I think they're not really good writers. Whereas Voyager. Like, it was all new characters. Um, you know, you had a Vulcan on on the on the ship, which we had seen before. But the difference being he was 100% Vulcan, not half human, like Spock was. Um, you had a half Klingon uh, officer with, uh, or uh, Maquis, you know, she became an officer, with Bolana. Um We'd seen half Klingon, half humans before with uh, Kalar, uh, so it was kind of neat to explore that <laughs> angle. Um, Had a Megazord too. Throwing that in there. Did the oh, right. Lon Suter, who was uh, like one yep. quarter Betazoid on grandmother. He, he was one of the Maki, but yeah, he yeah. was part Betazoid. Yeah. Also, the <laughs> the I think the original Navigator was also Betazoid. The the one that flies Tom to the to Voyager in the shuttle, I think she was Betazoid as well. Um, but she dies. Could have been. Right, um, but she doesn't count because she dies right away. Yeah, same one. Yeah, so, um, you know, like yeah, like uh, like I said, twenty twenty three. Looking back, I really applaud them for trying to do something different and original, and I think that's sadly lacking in modern Star Trek. So, um, my first question to everybody is the initial concept. What worked? What worked, and what didn't? Um, 
I real, you know, like having the Maquis on there, I thought was brilliant because you know you got these group of angry people, um, but then they kind of just abandoned that, like almost. Yeah, like man, that, they they dumped that so fast. Yeah, and it, was, it made your head spin. It was like, what was even the point of it? Yeah, exactly. I, I you know, they could they could have really built on that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think they tried to a little bit in the later seasons with some of the. Um, tension between Maki and Starfleet, but I don't think there was enough, especially at the beginning, where, like you said, they just kind of threw it out the window. <clears throat> but the sort of banter between Bellana and Kim of, like, she called him Starfleet, I just thought that was kind of fun, you know, that they were friendly like that. Yep. That was kind of nice. Um, yeah, I, you know, like, the, the fact that they were um, one of the problems I think they ran into right away <clears throat> was the fact that they were not in Federation space. So, the, you know, when at least when you're like in the Alpha Quadrant or Beta Quadrant, you can get away with other races having warp speed, having phasers, having all these other things. Uh, because you could just say, well, they they must have got it from somebody, right? One of the neighbors. But if you're, like, far away in a distant part, like, why do all these other races have Federation-esque technologies? Like, why... And then you run into problems, like, why does the Kazon have warp drive phasers, but they can't make a replicator? You know, they have... Well, some technology... Yeah, especially for the Kazon. They stole it from... They're like slave masters yeah, the, or whatever. Yeah. But <laughs> I but, forget who they were, but yeah, yeah I can't remember. <clears throat> but uh, you know, no, it just uh, I knew I knew they were going to run into problems like that. I just I I you know I know they can't change it now, but I just wish they would have just had Voyager be in like some part of the Alpha Quadrant, like uh, you know, on a mission. And then uh, another thing that um, I notice, and I think a lot of people notice, is the fact that. There was only a hundred and I want to say like forty six crew members or one hundred forty eight on Voyager. Um, so very quickly, you know, when they start bringing in new people, like as background characters or uh, you know just extras, you're like, where did these guys come from? Why 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 am I only seeing this guy for the first time? Like the like that Vulcan character from that they introduced in season three. Who is not the same character from the TNG <clears throat> episode Lower Decks, but it's the same actor. Um, yeah, it, was his, it was his brother or his cousin or something. Yeah. You know, they were just kind of... Or the, there was three crew members or something that was hiding down on like the bottom deck of the ship for that one episode. Yeah. They and to bring in three extras. <laughs> yeah, and, that, the, and I didn't know this until just recently, that that actor is actually the son of Jerry Ryan... Or uh, not Jerry Ryan, Jerry uh, Taylor. Uh, one of the Jerry, co Jerry, okay. one of the co-creators of of Voyager. Uh, he also played the newspaper yeah. reporter from the the TNG episode Time Zero Part Two. He's the one that's talking with Mark Twain. Um, really? Yeah, that's the same oh, actor, okay. I, and I totally didn't realize that until it, it was pointed out on a YouTube video I watched. I was like oh, the one who calls him Mister <laughs> Twain and has to be corrected. Yep, yep, that's the same guy. Yeah. Um, so Are we anyway. also going to talk about? Um... Sorry, Richard. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> I was just going to throw in there the uh, 
the plot armor in Voyager regarding the yes. infinite shuttles. Infinite shuttles, infinite <laughs> torpedoes. <coughs> um, you know, the fact that, you know, they're cut off from Federation space, but yet, you know, like, the ship's always, like, immaculate, it seems. Um, you know, I know in the later seasons they kind of made it look a little shabby at times, but it it was just way too polished for too long, you know, to not be going to a starbase for regular routine Well, and then in later seasons they run into that other federation ship that tiny little nova class thing and it's just in shambles yes like utterly and completely like halfway destroyed limping home the equinox on their yeah. voyager spick and span perfect yeah yeah um, and especially with all of the all of the conflicts that voyager encountered in the first season against numerous numerous Kazon vessels and sex and then, you know, every other bad guy of the week as well. The Krenim. Oh, man, the Krenim murdered them. That, But I got to say, the Year of Hell two-parter should have been three or four parts or longer or a season. But it was one of my favorite sections of Star uh, Voyager. That that actually was supposed <clears throat> to be season four. Like, that was actually what they wanted to do for an entire season. But it got shot down. Um. But they'll do an entire expand season on Enterprise, but they won't do the Year of Hell and Voyager. Yeah. Well, the well, difference is, though, in Enterprise, it didn't get undone at the end, whereas the Year of Hell never actually happened. Yeah. By the time all was said and done. Yeah. Well, um, and the I think one of the problems with Voyager, uh, like behind the scenes, is, like I said, it was on UPN, so it was a network show, like, no different than like NBC, ABC, those type of, you know, CBS. Um, so they had a lot of input with Voyager and they wanted one and done episodes. Um, so they, you know, like two parters were as far as they were willing to go with that show. It had to, it had to be resolved in an episode at most two episodes. And then it basically, you basically had to reset it. So that way they could show the episodes out of order and it wouldn't really affect anything. Um, so when they did the expanse... Maybe that's why... Sorry, maybe that's why Voyager was always in perfect shape at the beginning of every episode. Oh yeah, it, it's totally why. And um, that, like later on with the expanse, uh, the reason why they gave the green light for them to do that on Enterprise is because Enterprise was going to be was on the verge of being cancelled anyway. So they really, UPN just didn't care anymore. Um, so Voyager, like when Voyager started out, it was actually in a really good position uh, with UPN uh, because it was considered their flagship show. Like when they launched their network, they launched it with the first episode of Voyager, the, the caretaker two-parter. So they put, a, you know, they put a lot of faith in that they're, that this Star Trek show was going to carry their network. So by the time Enterprise came around, it wasn't carrying the network anymore. Like they were, you know, like they were, they had Angel, like that they acquired from Fox, uh, the Angel series. They had uh, WWE SmackDown. Um, they had all these other shows and projects that uh, kind of overshadowed Star Trek at that point. Uh, so that's why Enterprise, they were able to do a few more things like, 
after season two that they did, weren't able to do pr- prior to that. And and it, and it just kind of sucks because I think Voyager, um, with it being on a network, really kind of held it held it back. It definitely it had it had potential, and unfortunately, just never really reached it. Um. All right. So, uh, well, let's go around the table real quick. And uh, is there anything that stands out to you that worked and didn't work? I, I, I've already said what. what yes. Curtis, uh, what, what worked and what didn't work for you? So I, I am lucky enough to have regular conversations with one of our listeners. Her name is Steph. Hi, Steph. And one of the things she brought up, and I agree, is the 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 difference between caffeinated Janeway and decaffeinated Janeway. <laughs> and the theory is, the theory is everyone notices like sometimes Captain Janeway is all about, Oh yes. The prime directive, Starfleet protocols, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And other times she's like, kill Tuvix. Yeah. And a lot of people <laughs> have noticed like, maybe that's the difference that coffee makes for Janeway. Well, and it's it's funny you say that because so it, when, when I would when, say it both works and doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, when you when you had mentioned the Equinox earlier, that you know uh, what was his name, Captain oh, Ram, not, not Ramsey. So it it's, it was something like that, Captain Rum. Oh, I can't remember his name. But anyway, I don't blame him for doing what he was doing. Like he was doing what he had to do to keep his crew alive. And then Janeway was just like being a total, you know, hag to him. And it's like, you know, you're, you know, like you're lucky because he he pointed this out to her. He's like, you know, it's easy for you to judge me when your ship is still in one piece. You know, when you, when your replicators are still working, your, you know, your phasers are still working. Well, that's actually a, the quote from Captain Ransom is this. Ransom, yeah. It's easy to cling to your principles when you're standing on a vessel with its bulkheads intact, manned by a crew that's not starving. Yes. And yeah, like, she just totally, like, well, prime directive, you know, you, you know you're a Starfleet officer, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, uh, I, I don't think he was wrong. You know, like, I mean, it's not the n- nicest thing, you know. Well doing what he did and this is probably a conversation that belongs with that episode but i'll just say i think that's that's what makes this episode an actually good one because it's very very hard to make a solid objective case Mm -hmm. about either side of the argument yeah there there are arguments for both sides like captain picard never would have did what ransom did not in a million years but at the same time like it's difficult to blame the guy like it the debate could go on. That's that's one of the things that makes it one of the better episodes, in my opinion. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, that's definitely one I want to go back and rewatch because, uh, and uh, it it also had uh, Titus Welliver as I think Ransom's first officer, uh, and he who played in Lost. Yep, Lost he was the man, man in Black, and literally uh, everywhere. <laughs> and yeah, oh yeah, he's been on The Mandalorian. He he plays Bosch. In the TV series Bosch, which is excellent, I still got to watch that new season. But um, yeah, he's awesome, great actor. Um, but anyway, Curtis, uh, was there anything else that worked or didn't work for you? Well, that was the glaring one. The, the only other thing that didn't really work for me was like they 
you, you said they could have done an eighth season of TNG. Mm-hmm. They, I think they had a bunch of episodes lying around for that, that they just plugged into Voyager. Because a lot of this stuff, it seems like it could have happened to any Federation ship. It didn't have to be yeah. Delta Quadrant specific. And I can't think of any offhand, but I'm sure I'll mention them as we go through the series. And then, um, oh, I had one final thing, but I've lost it, so I won't hold anybody up. Yeah. Oh, I, right. It was the the amazing coincidence of uh, the presence of the Alpha Quadrant in the Delta Quadrant. Like, oh, yeah, Earth's dinosaurs left the planet to escape the cataclysm and became like this super powerful species in the Delta Quadrant. Oh, and by the way, there's like a 1938 Studebaker truck floating around yeah. because that's also where um, Amelia Earhart went. Yeah. Like. Really, and, and and Voyager just happened to fly past that and that old Earth spacecraft with that camp and who went missing and Chakotay went and had a big experience over there. It seems like they ran through a lot of Earth's history in their one tiny little path from the Delta Quadrant back to Earth, which when you think about the sheer frickin' size of the galaxy, it's like either either <laughs> – they encountered the least likely set of circumstances imaginable on their way back, or the entire galaxy is literally saturated with human history. Yep. So that, that, I don't know. It was a stretch for me. I get it. It's a TV show, but yeah, half of the episodes could have been on TNG pretty easily. Oh yeah. Well, and, and that's why I said, uh, uh, I didn't like the fact that they set them in the Delta quadrant. I felt like they, sh- cause I, I kind of missed that aspect, like the Starfleet, aspect of of having um you know them go to star bases and so on and so forth and like i had mentioned when we did our um i think we were doing deep space nine i would love to have seen the voyage voyager during the dominion war you know like seeing them you know participating in it um but yeah i just you run into problems like that by uh having them so far away like all these random coincidences like uh, one of the biggest issues i had was uh i forget what episode it was one of the earlier episodes when janeway you know just she does a captain's log and she says despite us being so far from federation space 75 years at maximum warp to get home but we're still gonna explore all these planets along the way it's like what like it if it's going to take you 75 years of maximum warp to get home, why would you be doing all these side quests? Like, it's just going to add more time to your journey home. Like, I understand looking for a wormhole or some, you know, something else to get you home, but just to explore some random planet just for the sake of doing it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I get that. But at the same time, it's like, if I was faced with that decision, like, okay, do I spend every single moment of the rest of my life focused on getting to my destination or do I like live it a little bit on the way? Cause I might not make it. Chances are very good. I'm not going to make it. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Uh, Richard, uh, another one. you go, go ahead. Richard. Yeah. You know what? That's good timing. Uh, another point that I come across in a video that I was watching regarding Star Trek Voyager is, there theoretically could have been a way out if they had gone to the Delta Quadrant. Now, I know that it creates a whole other set of problems. You, you know, you getting mean the, to the Delta Quadrant. You mean home. the Gamma Quadrant? Yes, like that's go, exactly what I meant. You, like going to yeah the, to the Gamma Quadrant to the Bajoran wormhole, right? Yeah. 
Right. So we know in canon for a fact that Voyager is aware of Deep Space Nine and the Gamma Quadrant wormhole near Bajor. Yeah. They, on a hunch, decided to go through the Delta Quadrant towards, uh, I would say, like a potentially longer journey for maybe finding a female caretaker that might be able to help them, but they couldn't have known that. Yeah. Theoretically, they could have gone towards the Delta Quadrant, <clears throat> sort of navigated their way through the Delta Qu- or the Gamma Quadrant, and tried to get back to the the, um, the, worm. to the wormhole. Yeah. You know, they might have come across, you know, the other side of Romulan space, like on the Beta Quadrant end of things, but I think that that might have made for a slightly different and maybe potentially a better show. Um, now, and moving on from that, because that's, that's kind of silly because it's not, didn't actually happen. But the writing at a lot of points, Curtis pointed this out with the caffeinated and not caffeinated Janeway's that she wasn't entirely consistent throughout the show. You know, the whole like, oh, there's coffee in that nebula. Like, great, there's coffee in the nebula. <clears throat> and I, I still think, and I'll die on this hill, that, that Janeway murdered two Vicks. Like she's 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 a criminal. That's that's my stance on it. I'm looking forward to the debate we can have over <laughs> that episode. Are you saying you you think that it was the right choice? Nope. Oh, but not the wrong choice. I'm gonna save it for that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's just a couple of other things. Um, I still like it overall, like mm-hmm. as a show. Um, I do like the the overall crew interaction once Jerry Ryan was introduced to the cast. I'm not too sure. Like, Kess was all right, but she felt very out of place. So did Neelix a little bit, but he had more to offer. Um, in that way, like being a guide, like it's nice to have a guide in an unknown area of space that you've never been before. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just small things, you know, the the shuttle thing and, you know, how it was always perfect and things like that. I mean, just there's a lot of like looming, glaring potholes, but I think overall it was pretty good. You know, they they just needed to work on a few of their weaker areas and the show could have gone from like a six and a half to an eight easily. Yeah. <clears throat> Agreed. Agreed. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Ragnar, is there anything that uh, worked or didn't work, in your opinion, with with Voyager? Well, i got to throw in a caveat that I I never watched all of Voyager. I dropped out, I'm not entirely sure where, I think it was probably after season one, I kind of dropped out, and then I just watched random episodes here and there when they were on TV. I know my mom watched all of it, and she really likes Voyager. Um, and I think it, I think it's cause she likes Janeway. I think she identifies with Janeway on a certain level. Um, so I, I am rewatching it now. I didn't, didn't finish my homework. I, I am not very far into it. So what I did is I watched the first episode and then the last episode so that I mm. could kind of see this is where they start and this is where they end. And I, I know some of the middle. And I will say this, 
having not watched most of it. The beginning is very boring and not good. And the ending looks really good and interesting. And I definitely want to watch more of the middle to see how they get to the ending. But the beginning was not good. It was very boring. And you're kind of like, I don't really care about most of these characters. What's the point of them being Maquis if they just immediately kind of forget about that? Mm Mm-hmm. The new, like, oh, great, another new quadrant of space with new aliens. Like, that's not really what we needed. Um, so there were some some particularly good characters. And there were some characters that weren't that great. Um, and I think that uh, having not seen all of it, what I have seen and what I know, I think 6.5 out of 10 is about right. It's not terrible, but it's not great. It could have been better. It had potential. And definitely, like Chris was saying earlier, definitely when you go back and watch it after trying to watch some of the new treks, Mm -hmm. it feels better. And you might be more inclined to say 7.5 out of 10 just because of how bad some of the new shit is. Yeah, comparatively, it's better. Comparatively. On its own, yeah. You know, you get a little bit of that nostalgia mixed into where you're like, well, okay, this isn't all bad. Um, I also wanted to mention when you guys were talking about, uh, you know, how the ship never really seems run down and stuff. And also, you know, the background extras, there are often new ones. A show that that handled that much better was Battlestar Galactica. Mm -hmm. They were really good about you saw extras in the background and minor characters in the background in the beginning, and they were still there later on. And in some cases, some of those background people actually got to become more featured characters. So that was really cool, because it's rare for a show to keep the same background people. Um, and Battlestar Galactica also did very good on the the ship is falling apart. And, like, oh, yeah. we're the last people, things are breaking and we can't repair them. Where, you know, things are patched together with space duct tape. Like, you know, it was very, they did way better on that than Voyager did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But, but yeah, having, wa- having watched the last episode, I, very recently, I was like, I think I want to go back and watch more of this because this is pretty good. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Um, so, yeah, I, I, where I'm at now with what I've seen, I'm going to give it the overall series a 6.5 out of 10, and I'm going to agree with basically all the points you guys have raised. But I am going to throw in a caveat that I might bump my rating up higher after watching the whole season. And I will also, you know, mention that every Star Trek series seems to take at least a season or two before it gets really good. Mm-hmm. You know, DS9 season one is slow. It's not, I'd say it's better than Voyager season one, in my opinion. But, you know, DS9 season one, they're still figuring shit out. Star Trek Next Gen season one, they're very much still figuring shit out. Enterprise season one is quite slow compared to what comes later. So sometimes Star Trek's just take some time to get going. Yep. And sometimes they don't go at all, like Discovery. <laughs> Um, yeah, every season one was the best part of Discovery, and 
that's not saying much. Yeah. Um, well, I, I just you know I I really liked Discovery up until a certain point in season one, and I was like, okay, I'm into this. Yeah, the Klingons are different, but all right, I'm into it. This is cool. And and then there's a certain point, and I I'd have to rewatch it to name that point, but it's somewhere between halfway and two thirds through season one. It takes a turn, and it just never gets back on track for me. But there, yeah. but there was a point when I was enjoying it, and I remember watching it with the girl I was seeing at the time, and we were both enjoying it and and finding things we liked about it. And then it took a turn, and it just never got better. Yeah. And then you know I watched one episode of season two, and I was like, no, this this ain't for me, man. Yeah. And uh, and then I got burned again when I tried with Picard, and season one was it's still leaving a bad taste in my mouth. And uh, the only new Trek that I can actually say I liked was Lower Decks, which definitely was written by people who at least like Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, I still got to check that out for sure. I I just wanted to add, like, uh, when you were saying about Battlestar, about their, um, you know, their, their backup, like their extras and stuff. I think one of the reasons why they were able to hold on to them so well was because it was filmed in Vancouver, uh, whereas Voyager was filmed in Hollywood. So I think a lot of those background characters and stuff, like, they just get better jobs. So that's why they just, like, disappear, because they're in Hollywood, right? Um, mm. Whereas Vancouver, uh, it's a little bit more closed acting community, right? you know? Yeah, there's... yeah. You're right, there's less opportunity for people to get poached and move on to other projects. But at least with, with Battlestar, like, you could... Because, I mean, there's, like, like 30 other ships besides the Galactica, so you could always, like, say, you know, like, oh, well, they got moved to a different ship, right? Because... Oh, and, and they I'm pretty sure they did that. Yeah. Whereas Voyager, but, uh, it's like they're just one ship far away from the Federation. Oh, yeah. Like, where are these new crew members coming from? Why haven't I seen them? I do before? have one other one other quick point. Um, well, you said, Ragnar, about how you believe that Lower Decks is written by people that actually like Star Trek. I think that's, like, like low-key, that's just straight up a huge sticking point for me with new Star Trek. It feels like every single writer either hates or doesn't know Star Trek mm-hmm. and does not care about the fan base, about continuity, oh, yeah. about lore, about anything. So that like, when you said that, I was just like, Oh my brain, it's turning, it's turning. So, so I have, I have an analogy about that. So you guys remember the, the movie Dune that came out in the 1980s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, classic. Robert, it's, Robert it's, Herbert's Dune. It's a classic. We all enjoyed it, but it's definitely a B-movie. The director bragged, openly bragged about never reading the book. Mm-hmm. He just read the screenplay and went from there. And then when the new Dune movie came out, you could tell this is somebody who read the book this is somebody who cared about the book yep. and he brought the world to life. And that's exactly how I feel about the new Star Treks. They just weren't written. Like it's like they were it's like they were saying, Oh, you know, I never really watched Star Trek, but yeah, I can make a Star Trek show. Because it just it just feels like they got so far away from the things that make Star Trek Star Trek that it 
at times was almost embarrassing and, and certainly was cringy. I, I do think that's part of the problem, but at the same time, like not to, not that I'm, well, I want to sound like I'm defending new Star Trek, but like Rick Berman, for example, he was not a Star Trek fan when he came, when he uh, joined TNG, like to be an executive producer with Roddenberry. And then Roddenberry said that's why he brought him because he wanted somebody that would like call him out and you know he wanted yeah. to wanted and that, it to and and sometimes it works but you gotta and have sometimes that works you know sometimes that works really well like but yeah the movie Logan was was written and directed by a guy who didn't like superhero movies and he said yeah. I'll make this movie but it's I'm gonna make a good movie not a superhero movie yeah. and it's arguably the best Wolverine movie in the oh, franchise yeah. definitely. But you got to have somebody involved that knows something. But you, know? you could also tell that even if he wasn't a diehard fan, he still spent some time getting to know the characters and material in the world. Yep. And he didn't just, like, shit on everything that, that is Wolverine and X-Men. Well, and that's the thing with Berman is, like, he was he worked with Roddenberry. He knew what Roddenberry wanted. And mm-hmm. and actually, he became, like, the caretaker of, of Star Trek for till 2005, you know, yeah. and, yeah. you know, he co-created, you know, Voyager and Deep Space Nine and, and Enterprise and, um, but he knew it. Like he, he wasn't a fan, but he became, um, knowledgeable in what made Star Trek work because he worked with the creator. Um, whereas these new guys, it, you know, basically they, you know, I don't know. We're just giving a bunch of money I and said, it's... do something with this. I think it's an overall sort of like picture of how modern media is. If you take a look at basically any strong and fun franchise, and we're all pretty close to the same age from our childhoods, they're all basically destroyed in modern times. Star Wars, the new Star Wars, absolutely wrecked. Star Trek, wrecked. Anything. Give me an example. Ghostbusters. Well, okay. but at least with new, at least with new Star Wars, the TV shows, especially The Mandalorian, have been great. The new That's movies, because, I agree, were shit. But the, but at least the shows were what we actually wanted. I think that that's only because we had one guy, Favreau, who's like fighting for the the spirit of Star Wars. I think yeah. it was. I think it was actually Dave Filoni who was doing that. Yeah, it was. I know Favreau's. Favreau was yeah. directing, wasn't he? Yeah, Favreau wrote and directed it, but but Filoni's influence is pretty epic. And obviously, yes. it's a collaboration. Obviously, they're they're friends and they're working together. And and also in you know it's worth mentioning that Disney didn't think the Mandalorian was going to be good when it came out. They didn't have any merch for it. They thought it was going to be crap. And it turned out to be their you know possibly their biggest Star Wars franchise yet. Well, well that's just added to the growing mountain of evidence that Disney does not understand Star Wars or the no, fandom. No, and if they did, they'd say, hey, Dave Filoni and John Favreau, you're in charge. You make yep. the Star Wars movies. You make the Star Wars show. You guys get it. You see, you know what right. you want. But, you guys like, do it. But the Look thing what is, Disney did. They spent billions of dollars on a theme park that failed. It's like, hey, come stay in the Star Wars universe for a few days. And we were all like, no thanks. You know how bad you have to screw up for that to happen? Well, yeah. Well, I, I was actually 
I was actually just there, so I could talk about that more later if you guys want. Well, um, like, like you're talking about the Star Wars, uh, like, where um, you stay in their, ho- like, Star Wars-themed hotel, yeah. right? Um, yeah. But the problem, the problem yeah, it's like with $5,000 or something. Yeah, the problem with that one is they based it on the sequel trilogy. Instead of yep, yep. instead of uh, going to the original trilogy, but the thing with Dave Filoni, like go on a, off a tangent here, uh, Dave Filoni actually worked for George Lucas for the Clone Wars. So um, one thing you'll notice, uh, like if you if you look at any behind the scenes stuff about the Mandalorian, George Lucas was they actually brought him on set of a number of times uh, because they they love George Lucas, they respect George Lucas, and that's what that's. He's the creator, right? Whereas the sequel trilogy, they literally, because he had he had a um, an outline for a sequel trilogy, they literally threw it in the trash and said, "No, we're doing our own thing." And he was not invited to any of the creative input for the sequel trilogy, and it and it shows, like, you know, like sorry, like this guy created the, what you're doing. You know, maybe he knows what he's talking about here. At least like Dave Filoni and them and John Favreau, at least they respect George Lucas and they'll bring him in. And um, well, and bringing it back to Trek real quick, sorry to cut you off, but like that's just another example of what we were saying earlier. You have a writer who understands the source material versus writers who don't understand the source material like yeah. a new Trek. Well, the well, like, and well, also um, real quick, J.J. Abrams made the you know he produced or he directed the first two new star trek movies produced the third one and alex kurtzman is his uh protege right um like i forget what kurtzman's company's called but it's like an offshoot of bad robot so it's all these same guys that don't really like star trek that are making star trek and that's a problem sorry richard Mm -hmm. go ahead that's right. I just wanted to point out if we can comment Star Trek experience and how many people absolutely loved that that time that was in Vegas. It's just a difference in the quality and the care that's put into it. Star Trek experience was people cared about it when they made it. Disney doesn't care about the franchise they care about the bottom line how much money yep. can they make and they estimated you know we're going to put three billion dollars into this theme park but i think we're stand we stand to gain you know 10 or 20 million or i don't know so i, I gotta interrupt you there and just say i i was there i went i went to disney world i took my girlfriend there for vacation in january mm-hmm. yeah you didn't tell because that was out of my price range oh yeah but we went to the Star Wars land and we did the ride. Yeah. They they definitely are going to make their money back. That the only place that was busier was like the actual Magic Kingdom with all the Mickey Mouse stuff and that's you know that was mostly full of tourists. The Star Wars one was like all Americans and and also tourists but we heard a lot more American accents there. But it was packed and we went in what is supposed to be the slowest week of the year. And it was like shoulder to shoulder packed. Like I tried to buy stuff at the gift shops and it was so crowded. I couldn't even get in them to buy stuff. Um, and I will say though, that the ride there, the big ride, it's 
called Rise of the Resistance. It's like the most incredible ride I've ever been on, but it was all themed to the new movies. Yeah. And that, for me, totally detracted from it. If they had taken that exact same ride, but but applied it to characters from the classic movies, it would have been like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in my life. But because it was the new movies, I'm like, well, this is good, but it could have been a lot better. Yeah. And so I think Disney did bet too big on those new movies, but rest assured they've made their money back and then some already. <clears throat> not that you were worried about if Disney took it or not. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Well, um, Let's move back to talking about Voyager. Um, we, we, had we had a good Disney I do, tangent. I do love the tangents, though. Uh, all right, well, uh, let's just talk a little bit about the cast and characters um, of Star Trek Voyager. Like, one, like one thing I'll say about uh, Voyager is I, I love their cast and characters. Um, you know, and it's funny, like, like, people call Neelix the Jar Jar of... Again, talking about Star Wars, the Jar Jar of Star Trek, but I always liked Neil. Oh, he, like, oh, he, he's very likable. But you also you were supposed to, you were actually supposed to like Jar Jar. They didn't, they didn't realize he was going to be that hated. They thought he was going to be very popular. Yeah, um, and Neelix is kind of like the Jar Jar, but you like Neelix. Well, that's because Jar Jar was created by George Lucas's children. Yeah, Jar Jar well, was Jar -Jar created by writers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ethan, Ethan Phillips is fantastic. <clears throat> I, li I like I like Neelix. I don't know if I cared for like the Kess character. Jennifer Lian played it well enough, but the character herself, I just wasn't really invested in the same way. I was like, you know what? I like Neelix. Like, you know, he's he's just. He's, he knows some stuff and, you know, he recognizes some of his failures eventually and he kind of works his way up and he becomes a really important member of the crew. I feel like Kess didn't have that. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I definitely could see that. But for a 14-year-old Chris, uh, soon to be 15 at the time, he had a big crush on Kess. So I was I was really sad to see her go. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a big crush on Jennifer Lean. Um, and she ended up uh, uh, co-starring with Avery Brooks in American History X. Um, you know, so, that before or after she went downhill? Uh, that was before she went downhill. Because uh, that, that would have been after she left Voyager. Um, but I think Deep Space Nine was still on the air. Or maybe it was in its last season, <laughs> but yeah, Avery Brooks was the was the teacher, and Jennifer Lean played uh, uh, Edward Furlong's sister, or I guess Edward Norton's sister too. Yeah, I guess they were all one family. Uh, man, yeah, that, that that's a deep movie. Oof. But anyway, um, the cast like Robert Picardo was fantastic. I love the Doctor. I love I love that that Absolutely. concept. Of uh, of the emergency holographic program, I thought that was such a neat addition to Star Trek, um, and it makes total yeah. sense. You know, if you got holographic technology, why wouldn't you do something like that? You know, especially on you know if there's an emergency or if you're stuck at some 
you know, deep space listening outpost, uh, you know, and you, your appendix is going to burst. What are you going to do? You know, you got a, a holographic doctor. Like, it, it totally makes sense. And Robert Picardo, like, I, I've, you know, I was a fan of his, like, when he used to be uh, the gym teacher on uh, The Wonder Years. Um, yeah. He was in Gremlins, too. He's He, he was in a bunch of different movies. Um, I really liked him. Um, the, you know, like, and one more thing about, sorry about Picardo is that his, um, interaction with Tuvok, fucking classic. Love it. Oh yeah. Like I, I, Tuvok. I, I loved all the dynamics on, on, you know, like I loved the friendship between Chakotay and the captain. I loved Chakotay and Bolana's friendship. I loved Harry and, and, Tom's friendship. Um, yeah, like there, there were so many great dynamics. Like su- such a good cast, I, I found. Um, and I always wondered why, I, again, I just found this out not too long ago. Because basically, um, Robert Duncan McNeil uh, was playing the same character he played on TNG, but they just renamed the character. And I was wondering, why did right. they do that? But that, but now I know it's because they would have had to credit the writer of that TNG episode. So, so they just created a new character, and it's funny because they wanted uh, for the you know when they were looking for the the actor to play this character, they said they wanted someone like Robert Duncan McNeil. Um, so they brought Robert Duncan McNeil basically to read lines with other potential cast members. Uh, and then they're just like, why don't we just cast this guy? Since we're since this is the type of guy we're looking for, like it literally said on the sheet, a Robert Duncan McNeil type. So they ended up just hiring him. Um, it's kind of like, uh, think... like, you know, going back to Star Wars, it's kind of like how Harrison Ford became Han Solo. Because uh, basically, like, he was like um, a roof, like he worked as a roofer or something at George Lucas's house, like redoing his roof, and he needed someone to come and read lines and he's like, Hey, you've done some acting, you know, come in and read some lines for, for us. And then they cast him as Han Solo. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Robert Duncan McNeil. Um, but yeah, a lot. So there was Robert Beltran, Robert Duncan McNeil, Robert Picardo. Um, so there's three Roberts, right? Am I forgetting somebody? Three Roberts on the main cast, and they were all great. Um, and one uh, one quick thing about Beltran is that I saw him, we saw him at um, Volcon. Yep. And it completely changed my whole like view. Like <laughs> I liked him a lot more after getting to see him, and I think did yes. we talk to him? I don't remember, but he yep. was awesome. Like yep. absolutely fantastic. Probably the highlight of that whole weekend. Oh yeah, he super nice guy, um, and and like for for me, um, being part native, um, it was great having a native character on the show. Like I, I you know, I thought that was fantastic, um, and it, you know, the big selling point for Voyager was having the first female lead captain, and I think uh, Kate Mulgrew just hit it out of the park. I, I think, you know, I, I, Captain Janeway is a great captain. Uh, she's not my favorite captain, but 
she's like she's she holds her own you know when you know uh with Picard and Cisco and Kirk um and, and Archer it's you know she's she's a great actress um the other actress uh Genevieve Bouchold uh, she's a Canadian actress that originally was cast as Captain Janeway. She only lasted two days, uh, and then she ended up quitting um, because she couldn't handle the stress of doing a, a, a what you call it a, a weekly television series. Whereas um, Kate Mulgrew, she had uh, she's done a weekly television series before. I think the entire cast of Voyager at some point made a guest appearance on Murder, She Wrote. Fun fact. Um, they, I think they're all in there at some point. But, uh, so she, you know, Kate Mulgrew, I think, is fantastic um, as Captain Janeway. Um, and to me, she has this, you know, such authority. Um I, and it wasn't until I went to the Star Trek Museum when it was in Vulcan that I realized how tiny she was. She was actually a very small lady because uh, they had her uniform there. Um, and I was like, wow. Like, I don't know. Like, she just has this commanding presence that you would just think she would be like an Amazon. But she actually was, you know, quite tiny. Um, but, yeah, great actress. Um Yeah. Tim Russ, um, I think he was great as uh, as Tuvok, um, and and even um, I got to throw out there. Go ahead, Richard. Go ahead. Just real quick, I got to throw out there that they did my boy Garrett Wong real dirty in that whole show, mm-hmm. and oh, I'm still boy. I'm salty about that. I will be till the end of days because what do you mean? <clears throat> um, Harry Kim. Never gets promoted. Never um, got promoted, but he was probably one of the most. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? He was consistent. He was a good character. He showed initiative. He was a very important part of the show. I think one. I like he for me. He was one of my favorite parts of the show, and he just was stuck as an ensign the whole time. But his best friend. He got demoted, promoted, you know, and then I think um, uh, Tuvok got promoted as well, you know. So it just, just that part just uh, made me salty, and it still will every day. I, I, I got <clears throat> some behind-the-scenes trivia on that. Um, first off, I think the reason why he never got promoted was because Rick Berman didn't like him, the actor. Um so I, from what I've heard, he actually brought it up a few times to to Rick, and was like, "Hey, you know, like, can Harry get a promotion this season? Can, you know, can something happen?" And and that he didn't like him, so he never did. Um, also, he originally was going to get written off the show instead of Kess. Like when they brought Seven of Nine in, uh, they were going to get rid of Harry. They were going to have him die. Um, but the reason they didn't is because Garrett Wan appeared in uh, People Magazine's uh, Most Beautiful Celebrities uh, edition that year. Um, Like, uh, you know, when they have, like, the most 
beautiful person in the world or whatever, uh, sexiest man alive, like that type of thing. He was in that issue. Yeah. Uh, so it was like all this free promotion for Voyager and they didn't want to like, okay, he's world, one of the world's most beautiful people. We're going to kill him off. So that's why they decided to get rid of Jennifer Lean instead of Garrett Wan, um, going into season four. So that saved his career. Um, and then also behind the scenes, uh, they had this thing in Star Trek where, uh, they called it, I forget what they call it, like Star Trek university or something where actors that wanted to direct would have to like shadow directors for several episodes at before they would get a chance. So like Jonathan Frakes, that's how he became a director was from Star Trek. Uh, Robert Duncan McNeil, um, Oh, I'm for uh, Roxanne Biggs. Yeah, Roxanne Biggs. Uh, Lavar Burton. Roxanne yeah, didn't Lavar Burton direct? Some? Yep, Lavar Burton, Brent Spiner, uh, Gates McFadden, Patrick Stewart. I think a few more of the DS9 Avery, cast directors. Yeah, Renee Aubergine Watt. Yeah, as Renee well. Avery Brooks. Um, Renee directed The Waltz, which is like yep. one of the best Deep Space Nine episodes. Uh, forgive me if I'm forgetting anybody else, but, uh, Garrett Wan went through his name into the, into the ring and was like, I want to direct. And he did the work. He shadowed directors, but then again, Rick Berman didn't like him. So that's where it stopped. It's, you know, huh. I, I think Roxanne Dawson was the last one that was allowed to direct from that, that school of directing the unofficial school of directing. And then when Garrett Wan, when it became his time, they're like, nope. So I really think it, you know, like, honestly, some things are like, I, as much as I appreciate, you know, going off tangent, as much as I appreciate Rick Berman and everything he did maintaining and creating Star Trek and so on and so forth, uh, after Roddenberry, I'm hearing a lot of bad things. Like, you know, like when Terry Farrell left the deep space nine, they say it's because of Rick Berman. Um, uh, Denise Crosby's spoken out against Rick Berman and Garrett Wan, you know, uh, has said that, yeah, he basically shot, shut him down. And that, I, I really think that's why he never got promoted on the show. Hmm. I, I would have one thing to add to that. Go ahead, Curtis. Ragnar, any guesses? Star Trek online. Star Trek online. Star Trek online. Yes. Yeah. For Captain uh, Harry this. Kim. I'm just saying, I'm just saying you do a few missions for Captain Harry Kim and Star Trek online. Which takes place canonically forty years after Voyager, by the way. And and Ezri's also a captain. Yeah. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Well, in the in the book series, like not the current book series, but the one that they just stopped making, she was the captain of the Aventine, I believe. Um. Yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah. Does sound familiar. I think. Yeah, that was part of. Oh, I think I read that book series too a couple of years back. Yeah, because I think her ship it, it had like some sort of transwarp technology or something. Like it was like one of the fastest. Sh- anyway, um, so bottom line is going back to where I started. Uh, the cast I think was phenomenal for Voyager. Uh, Richard, what are your thoughts on the on the cast and characters? Overall, I thought they were great. They did have a lot of really good chemistry. Mm-hmm. Some of the extras may not have vibed as well, 
um, because obviously they weren't there as much. But the dynamics between each of the characters, and I know in a lot of Star Treks, they have their kind of like big three. You know, they had Spock, McCoy, Kirk, and then also there was um, Picard, Data, Riker, and for Enterprise, they had Paul, Archer, Trip. For Voyager, I'm not entirely sure who their like big three were. Like maybe Janeway, Tuvok, Balana were the big three. I- I'm just not sure. It's not as easy to tell. But all of their interactions, it seemed pretty good and it vibed well with me. <clears throat> Some of the writing obviously was a problem. Um Unfortunately, as much as I appreciate having like a, a native character on Star Trek, their the way they went about it, I think, wasn't good. From what I understand, the behind the scenes on that was that the the um, the source individual was some type of charlatan, and it was just turned out to be a bit of a mess. Yeah, but I did appreciate that. And again, <clears throat> going back to Ardo, probably. One of the uh, binding factors for me of that show was having Ricardo there. He's a great actor. He's been in a number of things. I loved him on Atlantis and some of the other shows. And, yeah, I, I, especially after season four with Seven of Nine. <clears throat> but I got to say, just real quick to finish off here, there was a, a short time when uh, – Harry Kim had the opportunity, perhaps, to enjoy some quality time with another female crew member. I think he should have taken it for the basis of science. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, definitely in the name of science. Are you talking about when Seven of Nine was like, very well, remove your clothing? Yes, exactly. I was trying to be subtle about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Subtlety is not your strong suit. I was going to say, um, I think season four forward, the big three would be uh, Picardo, Seven, and Janeway. Because there was a lot of Doctor episodes and a lot of Seven and Nine episodes season four onward. Like, like they got yeah. a lot of spotlight. And there was a lot of interaction between the Doctor and Seven. Like, the show yeah. became Seven Rediscovers Her Humanity. Yeah. And the doctor helps with comedic relief. Yeah. Yeah. And there was some behind the scenes tension there too. Um, like uh, Kate Mulgrew didn't appreciate Jerry Ryan being brought in and getting so much uh, screen time. Screen time. Um, because, yeah. you know, and I mean, she was brought in for ratings. <laughs> like, I mean, let's be honest. Like, you know, good looking woman like that incredible body and they put her in like the most tightest cat suit they could find um oh and 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 it's true that that cat suit used to be on display yep and and the fact that they tried to explain like they tried to come up with a medical explanation as to why she has to be in a cat suit i thought was hilarious because the doctor actually says you know there's a reason why she wears this the silver cat suit um but uh no she was definitely brought brought in to help boost the ratings definitely for sure but anyway uh curtis your your thoughts on the <laughs> cast and characters 
Well, I don't have too much to add. Um, I will say it's the only Star Trek that had Dwayne The Rock Johnson, so that's pretty cool. That That's a fact. I appreciated that as well. Yep. And I think it was in the same episode that Martok played a, uh, a Rogan. Hmm. Yeah. That Seven of Nine beat the crap out of. Yes. That's right. He was like a, a coach or something, and then they had to fight. Yeah. No, I mean, everyone said it. I, I can only repeat what you guys have said. Uh, I think everybody was cast pretty well. Um, I liked most of the characters. Uh, I really liked the, um, who was that, Maki Boldian? Chell, Crewman Chell. Oh, Chell, he, yeah. He, he, was, he only had he a few good. a few appearances, but I remember that guy. That was a cool character. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll get more into it as we go through the episodes, but you guys pretty much said it. And Ragnar, what are your thoughts on the cast and crew? Um, well, as a kid... For, you know, or a teenager probably when I watched Voyager for the first time, I really liked Chakotay. As when I first watched the show, I didn't like Janeway. As I'm beginning my rewatch, I'm appreciating her a lot more. Um, I always liked Tuvok; he was great. I think the Doctor is the the you know the steal the scene character in the show. Like every scene he's in, he just steals it. Uh, I do find Harry Kim so far is kind of a weak link. He doesn't, so far he doesn't really seem like he's actually a very good actor, per se. I think it gets uh, better over time. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and like I said, I have not, <clears throat> you know, I watched some of it back in the day, and bits and pieces here and there, and now I'm rewatching it. So, things I say here could, you know, they're subject to revision once I've seen the whole thing. Absolutely. From what I have seen on my rewatch, uh, that's sort of where I'm at. Um, and I, I never really liked Bellana Torres. Um, I don't know why. I just always had trouble buying her as the engineering person. I always felt her character would have been more believable in a security or science position than in the mechanical position. But mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that gets better. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, I haven't rewatched enough of it to really make. Solid opinions. I just yeah, want to say I'm... one more thing real fast. Is okay. that as far as quality of actors, Ricardo was number one on the whole show. Yeah. He's probably yeah. the best overall actor in not only Voyager, but one of the best in all of Star Trek. Jeffrey like he's up with like a word. <laughs> I didn't say he was the overall number one, but as far as um, cast, like fine line there. Full-time cast, full-time cast. He's up, Ricardo's up there with Ricard <clears throat> and people Yeah, like I, think, I think if you ever ask people right. to make a list of, all, of like, the, you know, 20 best Star Trek characters, I'd be very surprised if he didn't make that list. Yeah. Easily. And if we include um, extras and, like, guest appearances, obviously yeah. Coombs is top three for sure, 100%. Yeah. Um, Good save. Good save. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm... I'm yeah, I think it. I think overall it had a pretty good cast and pretty good characters, um, and having watched the ending now, I I am way more excited to watch the middle and see how it all comes together. Because I, on my rewatch, the beginning is not dragging me in. I'm I'm 
if we weren't doing this podcast, I would have stopped already and just been like, oh, man, this is not great. This is kind of slow, kind of boring. Doesn't seem doesn't seem original for any reason other than like, oh, we have to make it a little bit different. So, yeah, yeah. But but having watched the end, I'm like, OK, I do want to see how this all comes together. And I do remember on its original run when Seven of Nine was introduced that I felt like the show got a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm interested to see how that all goes on, you know, this repeat viewing. It it did get better, but it also very much became like the Seven of Nine and the Doctor show for a lot of episodes. Yeah, yeah I can see that. And, yeah. you know, that's probably fine. But, um... Uh-huh. Yeah. I, again, I think that was like a network thing, you know, like they wanted more seven because she was beautiful, obviously, and they wanted to attract the younger audience. And then the doctor, like Richard was saying, he's such a good actor, Robert Picardo, you know, like they, you know, they could literally do anything with him. Well, and, and also his character. And again, this is subject to change when I watch all of it. But where what I've seen so far, his character is also, in most cases, the comedic relief. Yes, and yep. so if you have someone who's a good actor and they get to be funny, that generally is going to make them very popular. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a brainer. All right. Well, like I'm sure sure if I showed Voyager to somebody, just a random episode to somebody who didn't really like Star Trek or hadn't watched it, they'd probably say, "Man, that Doctor guy was great." Oh, so yeah. I'm sure the network had done. Tess and and the doctor got very high marks, so they're like, "Well, put him in more episodes. Give you know, give him more lines." Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, before we we switch gears and and discuss a little bit about Star Trek Picard, I think as far as favorite episodes, favorite character, the series finale, Voyager's legacy, I think we'll talk about those when we do our our. Um, reviews of the seasons um and because like ragnar said i think you know as when we rewatch it maybe some of our our thoughts and feelings will change a little bit but before we we switch gears i want to talk about the ship um and what and if i've got a what, fair bit to say so let me know when you're ready <laughs> yeah so the the ship i i like it, it's grown on me to be honest with you when Voyager first premiered, I I really didn't like the idea of the lifting nacelles. Um, I'm told the reason why they had that was because, if you remember, in Season 7 of TNG, they did that episode where basically it was like their commentary on pollution and gas cars, uh, where the Enterprise, like Warp Drive, is ripping apart the universe um, so they, you know, they had, they introduced like warp speed limitations and they, you know, they had to find a way to counteract, you know, the effect that warp fields were having on space. So that's why Voyager has these lifting nacelles because somehow that counteracts, you know, like the carbon footprint, I guess that Voyager makes. Um, yeah, that's some variable, um, variable subspace warp field geometry is what they, what they're going for. And then they can adapt the warp field itself, like on the fly to make it less damaging to subspace. 
which I thought was a pretty cool concept. I I did until they just <clears throat> abandoned it. Again, it was one of those concepts that you know they were that they went with, like you know they introduced this idea like halfway through the last season of TNG. So for the rest of TNG, you hear them talking about warp speed limitations and all this other stuff. And then as soon as season three of Deep Space Nine premiered in the fall, it's like they just threw it out the window. They were like, this is dumb. Let's just not do this anymore. So apparently they found a cure for it. So anyway, that's, I never liked the lifting nacelles. I like the way Voyager looks with the nacelles lifted. I just wish it was sta- it, they stayed in that position all the time. Um, because I just think like, yeah, you know, if, okay. if, if you need those nacelles to lift in order to go to warp, what if one of them, what if the hydraulics breaks on one of them, then you're screwed. Um, you know, no warp speed for you. Um, yeah. what happens if one lifts, but the other doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, but other than if that, you, I, if I, you've I, ever wanted to use car is a real problem. Yeah. But other than that, um, I like the look of the ship. I, I, I like the internals, um, the bridge. I don't like the side-by-side captain and first officer chairs. I think the captain should be center, and maybe the first officer should be off to the side, not side-by-side with the captain. That always kind of bugged me. But I like the more realistic consoles, you know, like... Like, for example, I'll use Tuvok's weapons console as an example. Like, to me, that was more realistic for what a weapons console for a starship would look like. Not what what Worf had on TNG, where it's like just this little panel that's, you know, built into the wood grain of, of, you know, the bridge. Um, Without a chair. Yeah. (laughs) Without a chair, yeah. The poor guy's got to stand all the time. Like, it just... Not that, you know, I realize he's Klingon, but still, um, I, I just, I like the, you know, the more realistic look of, of Voyager, um, except for Janeway's ready room. I just find it so weird that she would have like this enormous ready room, but yet the Enterprise would have such a small ready room for the flagship. Like I, you know, like I realize logistically why they did that because they wanted a bigger room you know, so it's easier to film. Like I, you know, like on TNG, whenever they did a ready room scene, it was a little bit harder because everyone's confined. Um, but Voyager's you know, also, Voyager's also set after next gen, so maybe they design ships different. That is true. That is true. And f- I like to think this. Like Andy and, Picard said, "My ready room's too small." Make yeah, like I, I have, a, I have. I have headcanon when it comes to bridges where I think the captain gets to decide the ultimate layout yeah. of the bridge. So I think Picard, he wanted the more, you know, rustic cabin looking bridge because it's the flagship of the Federation. He didn't want to have a bunch of panels and a bunch of, you know, a bunch of people running around. He wanted to simplify it as best he could because of all the diplomatic missions they were going to be on. Whereas Voyager, is going to be more of a exploration it you know it's going to be the ship that might have to go into more battles you know because it's a newer ship and you know it's <clears throat> that makes sense Picard would have had to consider like what is someone going to see when they're looking at my view screen it might be the first impression they get of the federation yeah maybe like 
Well, that, let's make it simple. Well, that and they also had to like you know like the Enterprise because they were the flagship would have to go to do these diplomatic missions. You know, so they'd have ambassadors and like heads of state coming on board the Enterprise and getting toured around. Um, so it would, it, would, it makes sense that they would have you know a more simplistic bridge, more homey bridge, um, and they also had a battle bridge. So I guess you know you know Picard did have his his you know his uh, you know bat, you know battle stations and everything as well, but. Um, but Voyager, I just, I, I, I love the, the layout a little bit better, except for the ready room. I, I, I thought Janeway went a little too far with that, but, um, and she's a coffee drinker, you know, like I, I, I relate to her on that level a little bit more. I like Earl Grey, don't get me wrong. Um, but I'm more of a coffee guy. Like I, I, I love my, I gotta have my coffee in the morning. So I totally get where Janeway's coming from. Um, so Richard, what, what are your thoughts on, on the Voyager? So the overall ship design, not my favorite per se, but it's not terrible. Uh, like when I contrast it with a similar, somewhat similar design of like the sovereign class with that sort of like elongated, um, front hull saucer section. And then, but the, the, the sovereign had the huge pylons that were stationary, which I liked better as well. I think Voyager's pylons would have been nice if they just stayed in one place. I think, practically speaking, more things to go wrong just creates potential for more problems. Yeah. <clears throat> but I do like the idea of the variable subspace warp field telemetry design. Like, I like that concept um, in, in Star Trek. I do like that. So that was a pretty cool thing. It also helped, like, efficiency and whatever. There was other reasons for it, mm-hmm. and I do like things that are – made to be better they're improved they're more efficient and then some of the like internals of the ship i did like you know they had some nice l cars panels i like the huge like um con station for for tom paris and the navigator section like that that was awesome and then in the back you had your your security slash uh weapons and then on the other side you had operations and then of course you have your engineering section when you need it I didn't mind that um, the captain's chair and the first officer chair were side by side. Like, that wasn't a big problem for me. But I did like the feel better of, say, like the Enterprise D bridge, where there was still three chairs, but there was a center chair, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I feel that. Um, and a big problem I had with Voyager was the introduction of bioneural gel packs and how seemingly shit they were they were infected by cheese <laughs> like some of the some of the episodes and the way they interacted with these bioneural gel packs yeah which i think if i recall correctly you can't replicate you have to make new ones like from scratch and there's a whole bunch of like issues with them and apparently they're quite fallible perhaps it would have been better to go with an, a, an improved isolinear chip as opposed to bioneural gel packs. Maybe that's just me. Um, The shuttle thing was a big problem. But overall, the ship was pretty cool. You know, it was one of the fastest ships, 9.975 top speed, I think, which was uh, pretty damn fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, overall, I I do like the ship. Not my favorite, but it's it's a pretty good ship. 
Excellent. I'll cut it off there because I know if not, I'll just never stop. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, Curtis, your thoughts on uh, the USS Voyager? I think it's a pretty sexy little sleek piece of machinery. Um, the one novel that I read years and years ago, um, Tom Paris described it as uh, a very agile and easy ship to handle, almost as if it drove itself. And it kind of seems like it was perfect for the kind of pilot that Tom Paris is. You know, he's a very um, quick, dirty, agile sort of... Uh, well, no, he needs a ship that's going to respond as quickly as he does, which is why when they made the Delta Flyer, he made it tactile controls instead of tapping on a on an L-Cars pad. Um yeah, the nacelles just bother me. I don't know the details of the technobabble explanation as to why the nacelles have to move. I don't care. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I could be wrong, but that's fine. Uh, it just it never sat right with me. Um, and there are some features that aren't necessarily pointed out in this show that exist in canon, but for some reason fell into plot holes in the show like they have a backup warp core. Yeah, that's a, that, that that's about? a problem for them. That's a problem for them in at least two separate episodes. They totally have a spare. Not sure what the big deal was. And also, uh, alongside the Infinite Shuttles, it also has a captain's yacht. Mm-hmm. So, which uh, that's kind of strange for a ship that small, really. Yep. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, the ship itself, I like it. it it's. I'm I'm a simple dude. I'm sort of a minimalist. Anyone who's ever, and I think the only person who's ever seen my room other than my girlfriend is probably Richard. I live in a very utilitarian space. I can appreciate Voyager for what it is. I I, I, I endorse that statement. Yeah, I, I always I like the idea of the captain's yacht. Like uh, the Enterprise D had one, and then we got to see it uh, in Insurrection, Star Trek Insurrection. I thought that was stroke of genius that they you know actually showed it uh in use um but yeah i always wondered why they didn't use that on voyager like you know instead of building the delta flyer why don't you just take the captain's yacht out but anyway i digress uh ragnar then it wouldn't have been really cool well and there were so many trips that janeway was on in a shuttle yeah for no reason yeah uh, Ragnar, your thoughts on the USS Voyager? Well, for, first I was just going to say, when you guys eventually watch Lower Decks, they do have a captain's yacht, and they reference it and use it all the time. Nice. I'm going to be real with you. I probably won't watch Lower Decks. I know, but I, I genuinely think you'd like a lot of the... It's just stuffed with Easter eggs. Just I, absolutely stuffed with them. You know I, what, though? I might... I might have Junior watch it because I think it'd be a cool introduction into Star Trek for a young child with the cartoon aspect. And, you know, it's not like a, a vulgar, gross type of show. It's just a, a silly, fun kid show that's semi-based in Star Trek lore. So, I mean, I, I do appreciate it for what it is. Well, yeah. <clears throat> is it for kids, though, Ragnar? I would definitely say not. Because Prodigy is more the kids' show. Yeah, Prodigy would be fine for kids. Lower Decks is a little raunchy. It, I think. It's more Although, like Rick and Morty type of humor. 
Yeah, it's more like that. I think depending on the age, because if you all remember shows like Family Guy and American Dad, there was a lot of jokes yeah. in place, you know, that young yeah. kids never got. But no, when we were older, we totally got them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're right on that. Um, so, again, you know, with the caveat, yada, yada, haven't watched enough of it. I don't really like the Voyager much. I love the old round hulls, and this one's got very much a squashed, long, sleek shape to it, which looks more like a boat. Like, it looks way more like an actual boat. Um, And I remember the first time seeing it being like, oh, I like the round saucer part. Like, even the Defiant has got overall kind of a round shape. Um, yeah, the Defiant's a circle with some shapes sticking yeah, out of it. Yeah, a circle with engines and a little bridge thing on the front. Um, so, I never loved Voyager, the ship. I never felt it was a whole lot of a character, and I, I didn't really like the overall shape of it. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll report back as time goes on. Um, so, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys uh, something. Maybe it's a little personal, I don't know. Um have you ever flipped a teaspoon upside down and pretend it was the Voyager? <laughs> well, that's definitely what it would look like. That is that <laughs> is totally what the saucer section looks like. I wonder, I wonder <laughs> if that's how they designed it. <laughs> I feel like more of an oval shape like that would be more like uh, the Enterprise D, like the spoon. Like I have spoons that kind of look more like the Enterprise D. Some, mm. I guess, but... No, I never really did that, but I get where you're coming from there, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I did a few flybys with a with a spoon pretending to Voyager. <laughs> before I had my Voyager model. But uh Nice. Yeah. But unfortunately my model it uh, like I got the Eagle Moss one and it's with the nacelles down, like the nacelles don't go up. I want to get one with the nacelles uh, up. Because that's my I like that yeah. better. Um, I often kind of wish they would have just used an ambassador class because that that was my favorite. That's my favorite design. Um, it was totally underutilized in Star Trek. You know, every time it would show up on TNG, I was happy. Uh, but I I I, I just love the ambassador class. Even the Nebula class, I really liked. I I, I like those classes a little bit more than I like the Intrepid class. But I just... think the problem with the Ambassador and things like the Excelsior is that they're too old, right? So they that were starting true. to be phased out of production during that time is when they created, like, the Galaxy class. And the Nebula class was sort of a, a variant on the Galaxy class, yeah. but it was a very small ship. And I think, obviously, for the new show, they wanted a new ship. Yeah. But there are better ships out there. Like, they could have gone with, say, like, Steamrunner class or Akira class, two of the sexiest ships in all of Starfleet. But they had to yeah. make Intrepid class, and I think that they didn't do as good a job as they could have when they could have gone with a steamrunner heavy frigate. Thank you very much. Yep. All right. Well, I I think we'll put a pin in the Voyager discussion. Because um, as I said, uh, in the future, we, we will be doing uh, seasonal breakdowns like we did with Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. Uh, the first season, I think, is like 15 or 16 episodes, so I think we could get that done in one episode but then season two onward to season seven they do the traditional 25 or 26 episodes 24 anywhere 20 24 to 26 episodes 
so we'll be splitting those in half because they're just it's just too much to talk about for um one episode but um it's definitely going to be later in the year because i definitely got to get on that wagon um and and get watching because like like you ragnar i've only watched i want to say i've watched probably 50 percent of voyager i watched season one and two i dropped out halfway through season three i came back for the finale because the the borg were in it for season three and then season four i watched in reruns um and then i watched season five and then i i think i dropped out after season five and i came back for the finale so um I haven't seen all of season six and seven. I did watch the Equinox two-parter, but that was kind of it. Um, so there's a lot I, I need to, to watch, um, which is actually kind of nice because, you know, like we were saying earlier, um, modern Star Trek really is not that good. So it's it's nice to go back and see something for the first time from that era of Star Trek that I hold dear. So... Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but uh, let's shift the focus on to talking about new Star Trek. Um, the new season of Star Trek Picard just started last week. Uh, episode 2 just came out yesterday as at the time of this recording. Um, so a uh, quick preface on this. Season 1, I hated... I th- I thought they what they did Picard dirty. They made him a, oh, a, a yeah. They made him a bumbling old man, and and he, he totally got disrespected by everybody. Uh, and it I really felt that in the writers' room they were just throwing everything at the wall and just rolling with it. Uh, like they they forgot some of their own storylines they were working on, and then Star Trek Picard season two it just got worse. Uh, it seemed like the budget was like cut in half or something because like they were filming in like modern day LA. And, and again, one of my, one of the things I hate about Star Trek Picard, I, I, it seems like in every episode, someone gets murdered and there's no respect for life on that show. Um, so anyway, going into season three, I wasn't even going to watch it, but, uh, some YouTubers that I follow, they got uh, a bunch of them got to watch the first six episodes, uh, and these guys were all critics of of Star Trek Picard. Uh, um, Nerd Roddick, uh, Dave Cullen, and uh, the Critical Drinker are among the the three that I've I've watched their videos frequently, and they all hated Star Trek Picard and modern Star Trek, and they. Nice. And they all said it season three is actually good um, because there's a new showrunner and apparently uh, I'm forgetting what his name is now, but apparently this guy is like a Star Trek fan. Like he actually uh, joined the show in Picard season two, but he wasn't the showrunner. He was just a writer. Uh, but then because Alex Kurtzman didn't want to do season three. They just gave it to him, and because he's a fan, he's like, "I'm doing a TNG reunion. I want to basically, I want to do season eight of TNG for for this last season of Star Trek Picard." Uh, Terry, ter- oh, Terry, crap. 
I forget his name. But anyway, um, he's a big fan. And then Robert By Robert Meyer Burnett uh, is another YouTuber. Uh, he actually, uh, b back in 2014, I had him on Trek 1701. Um, he directed a, a fan, uh, a film called uh, Free Enterprise back in the late 90s, um, starring William Shatner. Uh, and uh, basically it's like Clerks, but if Clerks was about Star Trek fans, um, this kind of what it was like. Um, mm. And William Shatner is on it. And uh, yeah, so he he's a, he's a super fan of, of the original Star Trek series, all of them. Uh, but he does not like new Star Trek. Like he's been a vocal critic of the J.J. Abrams movies of the Kurtzman Star Trek series. Like he... he has been vocal critic, but, uh, Terry, uh, the new showrunner got in touch with him and was like, Hey, you know, I, you know, I, I've been hearing, you know, criticisms, uh, from a bunch of people and I'm trying to write the ship and, you know, I'd like you to check out what we've got. So, uh, he actually got to watch the whole season and apparently he's watched season three of Picard three times. And he says, um, yeah, it's it's good. Uh, there's definitely things wrong with it. Uh, like he said, it doesn't uh, completely uh, turn, make everything right again, and people are there's things people are going to have problems with. But uh, for YouTubers that I trust, that were critics of of modern Star Trek, are now saying this new season is actually pretty good. Um, so that being said, that's why I decided to to tune in. And I've watched the first two episodes. Um, there's still things wrong with it. It's still not 100%. But honestly, if this was episode one of season one of Picard, like uh, an episode two of season one, I would have been a lot happier in season one. Because, you know, like having, you know, the TNG guys coming back. Um, I like the ship design of the Titan A. Um, it's called a Neo Constitution class. I like it. I like the captain, even though he's an asshole. I like that. He's, you know, he's given me Captain Jellico vibes. Uh, there's something going on uh, with the Federation. Um, Picard, you know, I don't want to give away too much. Um, but so far, uh, my only criticisms that I have is the it's still got the modern look of new star trek like the lens flares the dark you know like i hate how dark the federation ships are like like it's like nobody turns on lights on these ships um and i know why they do that because they don't actually make full sets anymore they use green screens for most of it and it just and you can tell like it, it i feel like i'm watching the the global news you know like you know, with their fake <laughs> green screen sets, right? Um, that's how that's how it is with modern Star Trek, and I hate it. You know, like, that's why I love the Orville so much, because they actually built a bridge for them to, to act in. Um, but that being said, I will say these first two episodes, um, I'm going to keep watching, Um but definitely, the, the, these are probably the best Star Trek that's come out since Enterprise, to be honest. 
Um, you know, it's better than anything that they've done with Discovery. Anything they like, Strange New Worlds. I started watching it, but I think I got three episodes in. I'm like, nah. I'm, I'm, I'm I, I love Anson Mount, but even I have my limits. I can't, I can't watch this anymore. But uh, again, another criticism I have. I, I hate how darkly lit it is. I hate the reliance on CGI sets, and I hate the fact that again the murder rate is still up there with Star Trek Picard. Uh, Episode one, we see Dr. Crusher killing people. I don't think she would do that. That really seems off character for her. Um, And then in the episode two, we see uh, Worf cut someone's head off, like literally decapitate somebody, which is cool. You know, like from a Klingon perspective, like as a Klingon warrior, I totally get it. But I don't need to see Worf decapitating somebody. If anybody was going to do it, it had to be Worf. It it did, but at the same time, it's like, eh, he didn't even decapitate Duras, you know? Like, I I, I think it's just, I I, I hate the murder rate on Star Trek, you know? It's like, like I should be watching Star Trek, not, this isn't Law and Order, you know what I mean? Like, I understand murder is part of Law and Order. I get it, but to me, it's like, why is every episode of Picard someone's getting killed? Like, I just hate it. But anyway. Decapitation in Star Trek is only cool when it happens to Data. Yeah, because at least you could put his head back <laughs> on. Zero. Yeah. yeah, at least you could put it back on his body and everything's good. Um, but Richard, you, you said you watched uh, the first episode, I believe? I've watched both of the new okay. episodes. And... I have this opinion that maybe uh, how do we say <clears throat> not what everybody else is thinking about it. And honestly, I I still believe that it's you know the same like Kirchman sort of garbage trek. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's gonna it's gonna end up being the savior essentially. And yeah, I think what uh, what I the, the phrase I heard used for that is uh, Trojan horse, and I think yeah. that that's probably accurate. To be honest, too, there's, too, there's too little, too, too late. It not only is it too little, too late, but at the same time, going back to what I said before about how they just don't really care about you know the, the product or the people or the fans, is that. I think that that's what they're doing is that they're they're ruining things that should not be ruined and changing things in ways that don't make sense. Like um, Crusher is probably the biggest example in that is that that she's not the kind of person that's just going to come out and become some type of mercenary and, you know, take on, you know, trained alien soldiers in a firefight. Yeah. She's, a medical officer she's not a security officer you know like that's just it doesn't make sense to me and with Worf at least it makes sense in the way that you know he's uh <clears throat> he's he's Klingon you know security warrior like I get it that does make some sense but like you said, just coming in and just like decapitating people he wouldn't really do unless he had to and yeah, I don't know. 
there's just too many like little nagging things that I don't necessarily have proper explanations for that bother me. And there's just not enough like actual good quality involved. Yeah. I, I and um uh, Ragnar and Curtis, have you guys seen this at all? Nope. No, I have not seen any of the new Trek at all. Okay. Uh, the newest Star Trek thing that I ever saw was the Benedict Cumberbatch's Con. Oh, yeah. Ugh. You should try it's, it over next, yeah. man. Give it a shot. Watch a couple eh, episodes. Maybe. Oh, you might actually like some of it. Um, Maybe. What, like, too much fan service is just too much fan service. Honestly, like I, I like nostalgia a little bit, and I like a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but at the same time, it's just now, nah, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> one thing I, I like a, a little fan, a little fan service disappointment that I had was when Raffi was talking to that her her handler or whatever. Like the theory was it was Worf, right? And it turns out it was Worf. But I was really hoping it was Dr. Bashir. I was like, this would be so awesome if Bashir was running Section 31 now. And she's part of it. But See, that's it. That doesn't make sense. Like, Worf, the last time we saw Worf on Deep Space Nine, he was going into uh, basically being an ambassador yep. for the, you know, the Klingons, right? There was no mention or any potential of him being a Section 31 like operative or high up. Worf is running section thirty one. Well, yeah, that alone is terrible. I I don't know nonsense. I I don't know if it's section thirty one, but he's he is working for Starfleet Intelligence. I just I just assumed it was oh, section thirty one. Um, oh yeah, that's an oh awesome so they broke canon. That's that's how you lose me forever is you break canon. See the 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 book series before they like did this reboot for the Kurtzman Trek like basically um like I don't know if you guys know but like in Star Wars like when they started doing the sequel trilogy the all the Star Trek all the Star Wars books were considered not canon and they're called Star Wars Legends now yeah right uh they kind of did the same thing with Star Trek when just before Picard season one came out where they um no it was act no it was before Picard season one where they ba- they created this canon for Star Trek readers, and then they basically did a reset, so they so it, they could be in line with the the shows. Uh, so in those in those twenty years of books or whatever, Doctor Bashir became head of Section Thirty One, which I thought was awesome. I thought that was a, you know like it totally makes sense. Like he goes, he he become he gets recruited into Section Thirty One for the intention of taking down Section Thirty One, but then when he realizes they're actually doing good. He decides to stay and he becomes like the new director of section 31. I thought that was such a cool idea. And I was kind of hoping fingers crossed that that, that that's what was going to happen here. But, and, and maybe he is, I don't know. Cause there, there is a rumor that there's a tie in with deep space nine with star Trek Picard. So I yes, was, they're going to, they're going to go to a, a quarks bar. I bet that's what it is. Yeah, maybe, but I thought maybe because, you know, they're doing like this, you know, secret <clears throat> intelligence thing. I thought maybe it might be Bashir. Um, but also in that in that book canon, um, after Nemesis, like when because Data was supposed to be, become first officer and he died. 
and then Worf just stayed with the Enterprise. Like, he gave up his ambassador position to uh, stay on the Enterprise originally just to, until they got a first officer. And then he becomes the first officer. Like, Picard offers him the position and he decides to take it. That I totally get. Like, And it was kind of, I guess it's kind of canon with Picard because in the Picard novel, like the prequel novel before season one, um, when Picard leaves the Enterprise to go um, to lead the evacuation of Romulus, uh, he leaves Worf as captain of the Enterprise, the Enterprise E. So I guess that's canon that Worf was his first officer after Nemesis, and then he became captain of the Enterprise E. Uh, but I don't know what happened since then. Like if he, like obviously he's working for Starfleet Intelligence now. Um, so I, I totally like I'm okay with that part of it because like I get, like I'm not doing the same job I was doing 20 years ago. So I, I understand like people change jobs, people do different things. Um, I just, you know, I, I just wish we could have saw that show. You know, like Picard and Worf on the Enterprise. I wanted to see that, not this. Um, and apparently the Enterprise F is going to make an appearance in the season, which is a cool design. I like the Enterprise F, but we'll see. Uh, but I, anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep watching it just because I'm like I said, these YouTubers that I trust are telling me it's good, so. I'm I put my faith in them because you know they haven't I'm, steered I'm me gonna wrong yet. You, I'm gonna wait till you've watched the whole season and then you say, yeah, you should totally watch it. It's good before I watch it. Excellent. No, I I'll definitely. My opinion's already on record, so. Well, I'll definitely keep you guys. I'll definitely keep you guys up to date as to what's what's going on. Um. Well, and I'm just pretty much too busy playing Hogwarts right now to watch any TV shows. So. Okay, really quickly, how is that game? Is it good? I Okay, so I am both a lifetime gamer and a huge Harry Potter fan. Mm -hmm. This game is fantastic. If the Harry Potter universe did not exist as a fictional universe and this game came out exactly the way it was, it would still be a really awesome game without it also being about a world that's become a cultural phenomenon. The gameplay is great. Um, it, it, it flows really nicely. The sound effects are all there and bang on. The magical effects are all there and bang on. Everything's consistent and it makes sense and it's really well done. And the story is good. The story is really good. The side quests are side quests like any other video game. You can't get around, go grab me one of these and go grab me six of those. It's, yeah. You can't get away from that in a video game. But no, it's it's really good. It's interesting. Hogwarts is huge. There's secrets and hidden stuff everywhere. Like, I've been running around this game for 60 hours, and I'm nowhere near done. Awesome. Yeah, my uh, my son-in-law, he's a big Harry Potter fan, and um, he got the game. And I, I hear, you know, it's very good. But uh, I hear good things about it. I'm not a gamer myself, but I, I, I like when they do things like that. You know, especially to like for Harry Potter, you know, because like I, I like the original Harry Potter movies. I'm not a big I haven't really watched the new ones. I don't really intend to, but I like the original. I movies. haven't seen the new ones either. Yeah, I hear them. I don't know. My, 
my mom's a big Harry Potter fan, and she says they're great, but uh, I don't know. Potterheads. Yeah. We are Potterheads. And I like the books, too. <laughs> like, to be honest, I, I, I've read the third book. I haven't read the rest of them, but the third book was really good. They all get way better after the third book, buddy. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the reason the third, I, the third movie was always my favorite. See, I watched the first movie just before the second movie came out. And uh, I like I didn't know anything about Harry Potter. It just happened to be on the movie channel on a Sunday morning, and I was like, "Damn, this is actually really good." And then we went and watched. Um, is it Chamber of Secrets the second one? Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> I liked that so much, I went out and bought the third book because I was like, "I want to know what happens next." Um, yeah, because that's the Prisoner of Azkaban, right? And then. Um, I read it, and then I got busy reading other stuff, and I never... By the time the fourth movie came out, I ne- you know, I just watched the movie. I didn't bother reading the books, but I got to... I, 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 that's on my bucket list. I got a lot, you know, a lot of books I got to read, but... Audio books, man. Yeah, I know. I got... But I got so many audio books, too, on the go. Like, it, uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, I, know. I know. I'm in the middle of a Star Wars book binge right now myself, so... Yeah, I got and I got some Thrawn books I gotta gotta listen to as well. So oh, nice, but uh, it's an embarrassment of riches, first world problems. I guess. <laughs> but uh, all right, well, I, unless anyone has anything else to that they want to throw out there, uh, I think we can call this an episode. Um, all right, but before we go, let's play that little game of where we can find you on the internet. And Richard, where can we find you, sir? Right here, as always. Excellent. And Curtis, where can we find you, sir? Uh, you can find me on Facebook over on the Trek 1701 podcast page. I hang out over there. Excellent. And uh, Ragnar, where can we find you, good sir? Well, uh, my main website, RagnarTheTrader.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram as RagnarTheTrader. And uh, I'm only medium active on there but uh yeah you can check me out and he sells the best beard shampoo i need to re-up my order thanks for reminding me oh thanks man (laughs) excellent all right and you can find me here at the pop culture pub podcast network um aside from trek 1701 we do the pop culture pub podcast and we also do a podcast called geek fallout reloaded which is our news and discussion podcast and yeah, and we could do Trek 1701. All right. Well, on behalf of all of us Star Trek guys, I want to thank you, dear listener, for taking the time to listen to us talk about Star Trek Voyager. And we will see you again in the not too distant future. Bye.